right, guys, so let me kind of set a little bit of a context of what we're doing and why I have uh, all five of us up here, uh, some of my best friends up here. And so uh, what we want to do is we want to talk about family discipleship. It's a family Sunday, and we know that a lot of you guys um, maybe weren't grow- didn't grow up in a family where family discipleship was something that was uh, apparent or shown to you. Okay, maybe you're the first person in your family to know Jesus and now you've got a family of your own and you're trying to navigate that. Some of you grew up in great examples of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Your parents set a great example, okay? Um, But all of us, 100% of this room, all of us inherited things that were not good as well as some things that maybe were really good. And so what we're gonna do is we're just going to try to take down a few of the giants to prevent you from doing family discipleship and help you out and giving you a paradigm to think through it. Let me just go ahead and clarify though, we're not gonna tell you every single thing about parenting, okay? We don't know it, okay? We are, none of us up here are perfect parents or perfect grandparents. Um, We just really wanna open up the Bible and say, hey, here's a few things it says, and we want to give you permission to do this. We wanna encourage you. We wanna defend against bad expectations. And, and then hopefully all leave here just a little more excited and motivated to be the church together as we disciple up all these kids who are in our midst today, okay? So let me just start off what I would say should be already assumed in this room. Here's what should be assumed. I'm assuming that all of you understand that discipling the next generation is mandatory. It's an expectation. <clears throat> that you discipling the next generation is mandatory, okay? We're gonna talk more in detail about that, but let me just tell you, Genesis 1.28 says this, talking about multiplying and teaching uh, the way of following God to the next generation. God at the very beginning shows it. He says, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God gave us a mandate as people to teach dominion in a way that honors God to our children, to pass on. What does it look like to live? How do we operate in this world together? Okay, but also when we do it, does it look like we do it on Sundays and Sunday services and children's ministry? We're going to talk about that, but let me just show you Deuteronomy 6, probably one of the most famous passages ever used in family discipleship. It's something that we do all the time because following Jesus, is that something we just do on Sundays? Is it? No, we follow Jesus on Mondays and Tuesdays. This is what Deuteronomy 6 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. It's the greatest commandment. Love God. Personally love God. And these words that I command you today shall uh, shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What this basically says is, for the parents and the people who say, man, we gotta get in church, it'd be really great for our kids. said, no, no, no. Following Jesus would be really great for you. And what would be really great for your kids is for them to look up at their parents and see people who follow Jesus. And as you follow Jesus every day, they go, now that's what it looks like to follow Jesus every day. It's talking about it at dinner in the morning when we get up, when we go to work, when we interact with family and the quirky cousins that we have. 
It's all the things. That's what family discipleship is. So now let me situate one more thing. So that's assumed. But let me tell you something that we don't always assume. Family discipleship should be characterized by the gospel. So before we launch into all these questions that we as a team want to answer with you, let me tell you, family discipleship should be uh, characterized by the gospel. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is parents, were we once children? It's a, yes, you were. Okay. I'm hoping the children set the example. You can talk, parents. It's okay. All right. Yes, we were all children. Titus 3, 5, uh, Titus 3, 3 through 5 even says that we were all disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Right? He saved us. If you know Jesus today, parent, you know that there was a day you didn't know Jesus. There was a time where you thought like a child, you acted like a child, but eventually God brought you into grace. So we want to tell you something. Your parenting, no matter what it's been in the past, there is grace. We want to remind you that in this room there is no perfect parents. And there will never be perfect parents. And God's goodness and grace and kindness to you is still applied to you. And you know what's amazing? God has always been working in spite of you. And he'll do amazing things in your kids in spite of you. But we want you to know, let that grace strengthen you. So um, I want to tell you one last thing. 2 Timothy 2.1, before I hand it off to Kate. 2 Timothy 2.1, Paul wrote 2 Timothy to a guy named Timothy. And Paul had no kids. He had no kids, but Paul gets a lot of advice on parenting. And the reason why is he believed that he had spiritual children in the faith. And one of those people was Timothy. And he writes this to Timothy. He says in 2 Timothy 2, verse 1, Timothy, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We want all of you to not leave this room feeling weakened, but feeling strong in everything we're about to say. But your strength not becoming coming from how good you do or how good you will do or how committed you feel like you will be, it'll come from God's grace and God's grace alone. Amen? Hear me say that. So with that in mind, it's time to go from 2 Timothy 2.1 to 2.2. Uh, Kate's going to answer this question. Kate, how should I and how should we think about the kids' ministry in our family's discipleship? How should we think about that? Yeah, well, we're family, right? We're called to be a family, and part of that is building one another up and doing it together. And kids' ministry is just a piece of that, a privilege that we have to keep, teach kids at their level. So the Great Commission, discipling, is not optional. It is what we're all called to do. Matthew 28, 19 through 20 says, Go, therefore, and make disciples, that's followers of Jesus, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's not optional. It's what Jesus said to his disciples as he was departing. Um, so we homeschool, and one thing that a lot of homeschool families do is they have a co-op day, uh, like once a week, where they get together and kids learn with other kids and do fun science projects and learn in a different context with their peers. And 
Can you imagine if that was the only day that homeschooled kids did school and the rest of the week they did nothing? Um, the kids wouldn't get a very good high school education, would they? Um, while that day would still be valuable, it would not be as rich as it could be. And it's the same with a Sunday morning kids' church. Um, is it valuable? Yes. Uh, is it fun and engaging and they get to learn alongside other friends in new and different ways? Yes. But if it's the only day that they're learning about Jesus and being taught how to look like him, um, it won't be as rich. Uh, so like in De Deuteronomy 6, it says, teach them diligently as we sit in our house, as we walk by the way, as we lie down, when we get up all the time, uh, we should be talking about God. And that's not like preaching them a sermon daily. It's bit by bit. Um, in Matthew 9, 37 says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And if you look around, we have a lot of kids. We have a huge harvest of children hungry for the word of God. And there's also an enemy who is hungry to teach them lies and not truth. So let's go family. That's awesome. So, you know, we want you to understand, we, you don't want, we don't want you thinking that kids ministry in our mind or in your mind is the only ministry to your kids. It's a, it's a supplement. It's an add-on. It's not the cake. It's kind of some really colorful icing, okay? Because I don't know about you guys, but I really do not want um, uh, 18 third graders in my house doing crafts, okay? I love children. I hate glitter, all right? So I love that Kate and the rest of you will lead that sometimes. But there's a different type of discipleship that happens when I'm riding with my daughter in the car, talking about things we see which is awesome. Hey, the other thing, a question we want to answer together is how should I think about family discipleship in the context of community, okay? Well, Galatians 6.2 tells us that we are called to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, which is awesome. And here's what I know about parenting. Parenting is a joy and a privilege and an incredible burden right? And someone said, amen. amen. Okay. Uh, it's a burden. It's a lot. It's a lot to do. It challenges your patience. It challenges your need for control. It challenges your pride, what you think you know, right? It challenges you in so many beautiful ways, but it's not something that we were called to do to, uh, by ourselves. It's something that we're called to do together. And so many of you know that we've structured our church in a way where all of our members are in community together, they're in community. And a lot of our community groups have kids who are in that community with them. Now, I'm not, we're not going to talk about how your community should in, uh, bring the kids into your community time. That's not what we're talking about. But how you should think about those kids. So, Kate, what are some ways that we can um, think about each other's kids while we're in community and shepherd and care for them and help each other out? Yeah, I would say being authentic with your community about your struggles and the struggles of your kids because it's real. It is a burden. Um, and also um, being in God's word so that you can counsel biblically and pray for each other uh, and invest it. Like as you know the issues in your community uh, kids' lives to pour into them and come alongside your people. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Sydney, what do you think about this? 
By the way, Sydney doesn't have any kids, but she has a lot to say in this situation, which is awesome. Yes, so um, we as the single women of Outpost actually have a mom in our community group. And so we have the opportunity to come alongside her. And as we were going over this conversation, I was deeply convicted. I was like, I don't think that we as a community are doing this well. Um, and I think that we can be very intentional in pouring into Tiana's life, that is uh, her daughter. Um, and so I think that it's super important for us to just interact with these kids um, and to be intentional with them. And the fact that we can start small and we can start today, like it's okay if you haven't been doing it, um, but you can start today. And I think of Paul and Timothy. Uh, Timothy was a younger believer in the faith and he was just actively encouraged in his faith by Paul. And so our group can be that for Tiana. And so who in your life is your Tiana or your Timothy that you can pour into, whether or not they are your kid? Awesome. That's awesome. Hey, when we as a community group members and members of one another, one of the things that we tell you guys often is, hey, members, you're called to shepherd one another. You don't just wait for the community group to do the or community group leader to do all the shepherding, right? In my community group, I'm not the leader, but I still see that I have the privilege and the opportunity, not just to shepherd my community group members along with my community group leader, who is Jim, but also each other's kids. So I think about the Montfell boys, right? I think about these uh, kids and grandkids who are part of our family. And some of the things I want to do is I want to spend time with them. I want to get to know them. I want to pray with them. I want to make small investments in their lives. I'm not their youth pastor. I'm like their dad's brother, right? And if their dad is a brother in Christ, I get to be an uncle who loves Jesus. And um, we're going to talk about this a little bit more here in a little bit. But one of the things that I've found to be abundantly true in my years as a youth pastor and now as I'm becoming a parent, I'm sure I'm going to experience it, is sometimes parents, you tell your kids wonderful things, right? You give them just incredible wisdom. And they just absolutely don't want to believe in it. But then some joker who's a youth pastor comes and tells them the exact same thing you said, and it unlocks everything. Right? Have you had that? There's something about somebody else coming in who's not mom, who's not dad, coming and saying that thing, and you're going, I said that. He's like, yeah, but you're dad, so he's deaf to all that you're saying. Okay? It is just a part of the picture. And that's why we're called to do this together, for our young people to see aunts and uncles in the body of Christ who love them, care for them, and who will be, for, be there for them. They can call when they're in college. They can call when they're in high school and know that they can talk to you and who are gonna point them towards Jesus. That's how we want you to think about this conversation. Now, um, I also wanna turn it to some good friends who have uh, some other opportunities in their community group, and this is Jeff and Celeste, so uh, they're gonna to talk to you about that. Yeah, in our community group, we have um, grandparents. We are grandparents, we have some of their grandparents, we have parents, we have uh, people in there who have grown children and are not yet grandparents, but yeah, and we have, we spend a lot of time talking about our children and our grandchildren. We spend time uh, praying for them, carrying each other's burdens, just um, being there and helping them and counseling biblically and just giving wisdom that we have gained through our children and our grandchildren, raising them and working, working with them. And one of the amazing things, you know, sometimes, um, and they do, you guys have grandchildren who don't live in this state. They're, they're in a different state. There's a lot of grandparents in the room who you're here and your grandchildren are all over the nation. Mm -hmm. um, 
but one of the things that Jeff and Celeste really emphasized when we were talking about this is how prayer really is a work that is working and how they've seen God answer their prayers in their community group for their community group members' grandchildren, which is amazing. And so that is a work. Um, keeping it on Jeff and Celeste, okay, we have this question, how should I think about family discipleship as a grandparent or empty nester, okay? Psalm 71, verse 18, this is David, he says this, Oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even in old age and gray hairs, oh God, do not forsake me, until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Celeste, talk about this question with us this morning. First of all, how many grandparents do we have here? Raise your hand. Woohoo! Look at all of us. Silver haired foxes. Okay, so they can't put their glasses on, right? Um, parents, I just want to ask you to invite your parents into the discipleship process uh, and invite them to share stories about their lives and, and even their grandparents, which are your kids' great grandparents' lives. And grandparents, let me just tell you, don't be scared to be authentic. There are good stories and there are bad stories, but what we need to understand is they are all, not just history, but they are his story. Um, I would honestly be able, much prefer to tell my grandchildren um, that their Nana has had it all together my whole life. I think they know I haven't. Um, five of them are here. I love that. Um, but I can't. Uh, when people talk about personalities, they say, are you type A or type B? I say, I'm type hot mess most of my life. So be authentic. You know, we are works in progress even still. Be authentic. Tell them about the but gods in your life. That's okay. Maybe it'll help them keep from going down some of the same roads. The best story about grace is his story in your life. So don't be afraid to do that. Um, invite your parents to teach the gospel to your children through the but gods in their lives. So when they start telling stories, you know, instead of maybe rolling your eyes and going, oh, I've heard this a dozen times, um, let them tell those stories to, your, to their children, to your grandchildren. Um, also, I just wanted to say that, you know, we are all, no matter what age we are, we're in the process of, of learning still. God's not finished with us yet, praise the Lord. Um, we have a lot of things to learn. And hearing things about yourself is sometimes not the easiest thing to do. But when you love people and they love you, allow them to speak truth into your life because we can still learn. Um, recently, uh, one of my daughters very lovingly um, told me some things that were very hard for me to hear. Um, one of the things that she said, and, and it, it really broke me for a while, was that, Mom, you taught us a lot about God, but you didn't teach us a lot about God's love. And that, that's hard to hear, but it's true, and I needed to hear it. Um, you know, I didn't understand God's love. I didn't grow up in church, and I didn't understand God's love. 
just really recently, am I really understanding what God's love is all about? That it's not something you work for, not something you have to attain, to obtain, um, but that is for those who are his children that just believing in God and that he loves us so very much that he gave his son for every single one of us, even if you were the only one that God would still have died on the cross for you. And that is amazing love. Um, so a lot of times in sharing our authenticity and our um, but gods in our lives, this is how my life was, this is what I did, this is how it was, but God. That's my favorite part, I think, about the Bible is the but gods, because I'm definitely one. Um, what we believe about God is the most important thing about you. It's the most important thing about me. Because what we believe about God determines our actions. Um, it determines our beliefs, it, our choices, and everything about how we live our lives. So I know that as a grandparent and as you as a grandparent, we want to finish well. And it's not too late. It's not too late to finish well. So teach them about God's great love, his perfect, unconditional, forever love for you and for them. Let your messes be his message and your pain be his platform. Amen. Jeff, you got some more to add to that? Yes. She almost soaked up all your time, didn't she? Yes, she did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Proverbs 17, 16 talks about honoring age. It says, Grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of the children is their father. You know, I remember, I remember being young and grandparents coming up, and back then they would pull out their wallets and drop, you know, 50 pictures of their grandkids and show them to you and start talking to you and telling you all about their grandkids. And, you know, that's what I was talking about is that grandkids are the glory of the age. And... Don't really, didn't really understand that until you actually do have grandkids. And you begin to realize, yeah, that grandkids are great because you get all the good stuff. You get all the loving, the hugging, the kissing, the, the fun stuff without all the heavy responsibility. And you begin to realize that. But it also says then there that the father is also the glory of the children in that verse. And that... Fathers have a lot to speak into that, and we, as, we have a lot to speak into the lives of these children, even at our, at our age. And we think, well, sometimes i got to give a mini-sermon or a mini-sermonette or something, when really, all we really need to do is speak about the things that God is teaching us today in our lives. And that's what I, one of the things I love about Outpost Church is that we're always asking each other, you know, what are God's teaching you today? And you can, tell, you can tell your grandkids, you can sit with them for a moment and just say, hey, this is what God's teaching me today. And share that with your kids. And then those little moments add up to the big moments. And I think that's where Paul is talking about, or not Paul, Moses is talking about in Psalms 91, where he talks about count our, take our moments and our, our lives and, and they're numbered, and our days are numbered and use that wisdom that we have to pass it on to our children and our grandchildren. That's awesome. A couple of things I want to just kind of double-click on with us as a, as a in this room is uh, two things he said. One was 
understanding that, yes, you do not have the same responsibility that your children have to raise these kids. But one of the things that uh, Jeff has said before, and I've heard him say is, um, it doesn't mean you don't have any responsibility. Okay, I've heard people say this, and it's the quickest way for me to uh, correct you if you're older than me, is to say, well, I did my time. And well, then go enjoy your retirement somewhere else. Because your time is done when Jesus says your time is done. That's the biblical understanding of your grandparenting. People didn't end until they were like blind and fell back out of their chair and just like died, you know what I mean? Like they just gave it all. And, and they, you are what, like the Bible says, you are a treasure. And inside of you is stored up treasure that you can continue to pull out and give away. And here's the crazy thing about your treasure, your wisdom, your experience. You can pull it out and give it to this grandchild and you can pull out the same thing and give it to the next and you're not any more empty. The treasure can continue to be given and blessed. So here's the second thing I wanna say is, grandparents, you are valued here. I think you just need to be convinced that you have something to bring to the table. Okay, whether they're your kids, uh, and here's the, I, I always say one or two things and I end up having five. Here's the third thing. If your grandkids live in another uh, state or another place, I know some grandparents in this room who do a really good job of being still trying to be a part. We live in a world with amazing technology uh, where you could do those kind of things. And if you don't know how that technology works, find a millennial, we'll show you. Um, but I know some grandparents in the room who will send letters frequently to their grandkids just saying, hey, I was thinking about you, praying about you, remind me of this first, I want you to know I love you. That goes so far with grandchildren. It goes so far. But here's the other thing I want you to understand. There are grandchildren who maybe are not your blood grandchildren, but your grandchildren here in this church, in the church that belongs to Jesus, that you can have an impact on. And they don't have to be your blood grandchildren for you to pour out riches of God's grace and experience and knowledge in their life, okay? And we invite you to be a part, all right? We invite you to be a part. We love that. We value you. Okay. Yeah, go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, and what scripture I was talking about is honoring age. And Daniel talks about the ancients of days, that God is the ancient of days, that he is the eternal being. And what we need to do, and we did this, teach children to honor age and honor them. I mean, when we got together for Thanksgiving and we got together for Christmas and stuff, we always honored age and had the grandparents go first and the older people go first. And like our kids do that with us. Even when our kids, when we go over to our kids' house for a birthday party, they have their kids wait on us and bring us birthday cake and bring us and we eat the cake first and then the kids eat the cake. So they're just showing them ways of honoring the age and honoring people. When you honor age, you honor, you're honoring God. That's beautiful. And all the grandparents are like, yeah, my kids should be bringing me cake. <laughs> I would feel very deeply honored by that. Um, but here's the thing. It used to be that gray hair made you the most valued person in the community. But now what makes you the most valuable is what? Being 20 years old, skinny, you know, uh, you know, like a huge Instagram and all that. So if like you're past that, it's like, oh, well then you're no longer, you're irrelevant, you don't matter. Our culture has it wrong, wrong. The, the pinnacle of all of life is not 20 years old. Thank God, because when I was 20, I was a complete idiot. And I'm less of an idiot now, but uh, we should definitely not make them the pinnacle. If you've got gray hair, it is a crown of glory. But let me remind you of uh, Ecclesiastes 4, uh, 13. 
Solomon says, better was a poor but wise youth than an old and foolish king who's forgotten how to take advice. So like what Celeste said, stay humble, stay in the fight. You will not regret it on the other side of glory. Okay? Let's move on. Uh, How should we as a church think about family discipleship with single moms and single dads? Uh, uh, um, Sydney talked about that a little bit ago. But I want to talk to you about this. I, I grew up, my mom was a single mom for a period of time. It was just her and me and my brother. And my mom was an incredible woman. She worked in so hard to care for us, showed up to all these games, took us to sports, worked hard, you know, would work throughout the night, come pick us up in the morning. I mean, it was amazing what she would do. Um, but when, I remember when we were younger, there was a time where we had to go to this church and we had to stay the night at the church in order to get access to some resources. And we, so we stayed there, and we had to hear this gospel message. And so we, we had to sit in this church service. We sat in the church service, us and a few other people. And then they took us to this room where we could finally have access to, like, clothes and stuff like that. Um, and, and, and then that was about it. So they shared this gospel message with us. We got our clothes. We fought with all these other people to get them, and then we left. And I don't remember what happens next, but that was vivid in my mind. That even though I am thankful, and my mom was thankful at that time where that church did, I want to tell you that's not the church. The church of Jesus Christ loves single parents and stands with them, not just to teach them the gospel message one time and tell them how they can get their stuff together, but stands with them in their parenting. Because single parenting is really, really hard. If, if parenting is hard, imagine doing it by yourself if you haven't been a single parent. Why should this matter to us? Because it matters to God. I want to tell you a quick story from Genesis. Genesis chapter 21, there is a uh, scene in there. Abraham, you've probably heard of him, Abraham and Sarah can't have kids. And Sarah starts to get really kind of frustrated about that. She doubts God's faithfulness. So she gives Abraham Hagar. Here's my servant, sleep with him, and you will have a kid through him uh, or through her. And so that happens. She ends up having a son named Ishmael. Well, Sarah ends up getting really jealous about that and says, you know what? I don't even want Hagar or Ishmael here anymore. Abraham, I want you to send her away. And so Abraham listens to Sarah, sends her away with a skin of water, and that's about it, her and her son. And so as she's leaving, this is what we read ends up happening. Genesis 21, verse 15. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the, sh- the child under one of the bushes then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. And she said, let me not look on the death of this child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard her voice, or heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Calls her by name. Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. If you know history, you know that great nation ends up being a great problem. But God does not look at the circumstances of Hagar's life and the dysfunction that came with it. He sees her and cares for her and loves her. We as a church family, the reason why we don't talk about this is we as a church family should embrace our single moms and our single dads, love them and care for them and help them in the midst of what they're going through. Should we not? If our God does it, shouldn't we? We want you to think through that and pray through that. 
because they need our help. And Sydney and those girls, I love what Sydney said, uh, because Tiana inherited seven ants, right? And if they take her to lunch or get her coffee once a week, it's, she, it's gonna take seven weeks of taking that girl to lunch before she sees one of them again. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. So we want you to know, first of all, if you're a single parent here, we love you. We want to know you, we want to help you, we want to care for you. All right? You're not alone. You don't have to be alone. The family of God is called to help you. And if we don't, you know now we're not doing what we're called to do. Okay? Lastly, I'm going to kick it to Sydney. How should we think about family discipleship as a single person at Outpost? Sydney, talk to him about that. Yeah, so I think as singles, it's super easy to think that we just don't play a role in this conversation, and I know that we definitely do, and I hope that um, all the single men and women out there are feeling that, and that you guys do hold weight, and that your words do hold weight, and um, whether or not you realize that there's a handful of kids in your life, uh, whether it's your coworkers' kids, your friends' kids, your community group members' kids, the kids that you babysit for, uh, the way that you interact and the words that you use with those students and kids are imperative and they want to hear the stories in your life too. And so be intentional about the way that you're choosing to walk your walk through your life with Jesus um, and the way that you're showcasing that to them. And then also as well, uh, just like Greg had said before, your words do hold a different weight to these kids um, than their parents might. And so the things that you say to them are going to help them maybe see the Lord in a different way. And so that can help them to uh, just look to Jesus in that way. And lastly, uh, if you become a parent one day, this is imperative for you as well, uh, because how would you, um, I know that even in going through this conversation, I was thinking, man, like, I don't even know what family discipleship looks like. I asked some of our community group girls and they were like, I have no idea how to answer this question. And so uh, I think it's just super important to, it's simple things like, taking Tiana to lunch or being intentional about picking up a high schooler from school and asking her how her day was. Uh, it's just important things like that um, and showing them that you care for them and knowing that they uh, see that love of Jesus through you. That's awesome. Well, to tie this all together here at the end, and I have no idea what time it is. Anybody know what time it is? 11.02. Oh, we're going to break a record. Um, to tie kind of what Sydney and Celeste were talking about, um, in our family, th- we're not giving you a lot of tips and tricks, really. I hope you're seeing that. We want to be very careful. We're starting a conversation is what we're trying to do. But to tie something they said together and what we're trying to do here is we want to increase value of one another in our family discipleship. Because the idea of the nuclear family is a new idea and it's already been proven wrong. It does not work like having an intergenerational, multiple families called to come together to care for one another. It doesn't have the power and impact. So parents, I want you to consider how single adults can really benefit you in your mission to disciple your children and raise up the next generation. Single adults, you consider as well. If you're a grandparent, you consider how you can be a part of this next generation. Parents, consider how grandparents, whether they're yours or somebody else's, can be a part of pouring into your children. Because the reality is, um, I'm kind of saying it wrong, they're not your children. They're God's children. 
that he has entrusted to you and that you are called to steward to the best of your ability. Because one day they're going to leave and make their own decisions. Should they not leave the best disciples that we can possibly create? I, I was asked this. I was thinking about this a lot lately. If somebody told me, I don't mean this arrogant, but if somebody told me, hey, you're going to walk with this guy for 18 years, do you think that that guy's going to be ready to be a church planner or be gifted? He's going to know what he needs to know. And I would say, absolutely. If I get 18 years with a guy, I know that I can, if I taught him everything I know, he's going he's to get a great head start. Isn't that true with Trip and Boone, my two boys? It should be true with your kids. You have 18 years and beyond to love and disciple. And I love what Jeff said. It's, we keep thinking uh, family discipleship is these really big moments, right? Huge moments. It's really thousands of tiny intentional moments where you're just intentional at dinner, intentional when your kids fight, intentional when they step out of line, intentional when they do something good, intentional as you read the Bible, intentional as you eat dinner, as you go to work, as you uh, attend a church service. It's just intentional in all you do, riding in the car. And so if we stack up thousands of intentionalities, these kids would go, man, I know what it looks like to follow Jesus. And listen, we're going to fail. Kids, we will fail you. And newsflash, you'll have kids and you'll fail them. All right? And the cycle will continue. But man, what if today we decided that as a larger family, we were going to be a village? Because it takes a village to love and to care and disciple these children. I'm excited to do it with you. I need your help. I love my kids. I need your help. Okay? And uh, you need my help. Let's do this together. Amen? Well, hey, let me pray for us, uh, and then we'll get out of here with all of our kids. And let me remind you, you guys can hang. We'd love for you guys to hang in fellowship. Um, but we really love it if uh, you took that fellowship and took it deeper into the parking lot, maybe even around your cars. Okay? Let me pray for us and just thank God for this time. And we won't do any worship. Well, Father, thank you so much for the hundred arrows in this room that you've equipped this body with, this next generation who's beautiful, wonderful, created in your image, who's filled with joy, who is a lesson and a testament to us to stop being so old and crusty, but to let our faith be vibrant and fun and awake. I pray for the grandparents and great-grandparents in this room. I pray that, Jesus, you would help them see their value and that these are the best years of their life. I pray for our parents who are the most worked people in this room. I pray you give them rest and peace. I, feel, I pray that you, they would feel supported by their community, supported by the single, supported by the church. I feel like their arms are lifted up. I pray that you would remove all the guilt and shame. If there's things that they need to confess and own with their kids, I pray you give them the power to do so. God, but I also pray that you would, they would be strengthened by the, the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And for, for all the high school, middle school, elementary school, toddlers and babies over there in the rooms, we pray that these kids would be the first generation in Cody that are raised, grow up, and know what it really means to be the church. That they would set the standard. And they would blaze a trail that we could only have dreamt about. And Jesus, we pray that you would come soon and rescue all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.